Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with New York City jazz pianist, composer, and educator, Ray Gallen. We had a lively discussion about his debut album, his 2021 CD, Make Your Move, with bassist David Wong and drummer Kenny Washington on the Cellar Live label. This New York native is a longtime professor that has finally leaped into the fray as a band leader. He has worked with the likes of Ron Carter, Lionel Hampton, Art Farmer, Dizzy Gillespie, Milt Jackson, Harry Sweets Edison, Frank West, and so many others over the years as a sideman. This cat is now a frontman, and he is a font of information, and he loves jazz to his core. Get to know him. Enjoy. Well, man, hey, thank you for taking a minute yeah. out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate doing this. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You bet. So let's talk about your latest CD, Make Your Move, and we've talked about, obviously, we're in a, uh, a very tenuous time on the planet with COVID and a lot of things going on. What did you, how do you feel about the timing of this thing out? I mean, everything was so, especially when everything started to, to happen, because it was recorded, you know, before the pandemic, uh, but the whole thing of making the arrangements for the recording came, came obviously during, and it was all very tenuous. Like, I, I wasn't sure whether it was even a good idea to do this, but then it seemed like, you know, especially the way things were moving, like, like to have the whole idea of, you know, releasing it in the spring and spring it's about rebirth and rejuvenation and it seems like hopefully that's what it's going to be as far as the spring will be for you know in, as it relates to covid that you know we're, we're rebounding we're coming out of this the vaccines will kick in and and uh you know we'll be back to abnormal <laughs> as soon as possible you know uh and i you know it's just i couldn't think of you know music is one of the few things that keeps me and i know many people that i know you know, going keeps us sane in, the, in in such difficult times of lockdown, especially like here in Midtown Manhattan, where you're kind of crammed in these little apartments and you can't you can't even leave your apartment without running into people. Like you know, there's people everywhere. You, you just even to go outside, you got to pass through a bunch of people. So uh, music has played such a tremendous role in uh, mental health. I agree. So what do you want the uh, listener to get from this album? How do you want them to feel about this project? Well, uh, first of all, I would hope that they would enjoy it. Um, what I would hope that the music conveys is that, that there's, you know, it's, it's something, you know, for me, it's, I'm really drawn to the tradition of jazz in terms of what got me into jazz was particularly two ingredients that, that were basic to all of jazz, up through Ornette Coleman, even from Louis Armstrong and be before that, up through Ornette Coleman, which was uh, at least early Ornette, which is a swing feel and blues feel. And I, you know, <clears throat> but at the same time, it's always been about trying to find an original voice and doing that. And that's kind of what I would hope to convey, that they would enjoy the tunes that I write and, and that they have, you know, that, that there's enough of a personality there in those tunes and, and the way that I play, that it conveys something that both feels comfortable and familiar, but at the same time is not something that they've quite heard before. Perhaps that would be a way to put it. But most of all, I just hope they would enjoy it. Well, you've been around for some time, and this is your debut. Kind of talk to me a little bit about how that happened. Uh, you know, it took me a while to get out of first CD, that's for sure. But, you know, I, I was... Uh, for years, I was working as a sideman, and I, I was always working. The phone was always ringing, I guess, and I always kept working. And I didn't, I wasn't really thinking so much about, I wasn't doing a lot of gigs as a leader, and I really hadn't thought about, I mean, I, I thought about making CDs. A couple of opportunities happened, but 
Um, I, I just felt like I wanted a couple options came up, but I didn't really um, follow through with them. They didn't really um, pan out and I didn't really pursue them. I wanted to just feel ready. I wanted to feel that I had something, you know, a real ref refined what I was going to do, my personality, have some material to present that was, that even when I'm playing standards, it doesn't sound like something maybe you've heard before, but it still, you know, could have that personality. Because that's, I think, one of the, the, the difficulties of playing tradition-based music is to have do it without sounding like you're just rehashing stuff that's already been done. So I felt like I just wanted to feel ready. And also, I wanted to do it with the right people and, and, and just the right setting. And it just came together because... Kenny, uh, David Wong is just this marvelous bass player I'm sure many of you know already, many listeners already know from his many recordings with, you know, Heath Brothers and, and Jimmy Heath and, and Roy Haynes, many others. Uh, um, and he's someone I've played with for years and he knows my music inside out. He's just, just such a, a pleasure to work, play with, a joy to play with. And, uh, and then Kenny Washington, who... I, although I've never worked with in a trio setting, I've known since we were teenagers. When we met coming out of high school, I was working in a record store, and uh, I just got the guy. I just kind of discovered jazz and was obsessed with it. And I got this job. I think it was sixteen, seventeen. I remember working in this big record store downtown, in the, working in the jazz aisle. And Kenny was just coming out. And when he'd finished high school, you know, he, we were both coming out of high school. He'd just finished class. He'd come down there and he'd hang out, maybe buy a record or two. But he'd mainly just hang out. We'd talk and. He turned me on to all kinds of stuff because even then, I mean, he was already the <laughs> the jazz maniac, as he calls himself. He was he had this unbelievably uh, encyclopedic knowledge of of jazz and jazz history and jazz music and recordings, and so he turned me on to all kinds of music. And he he was such a had such a big role to play in my musical development. And I just loved his playing, his his arrangement oriented concept. But he's also extremely busy, and he's hard to get a hold of and pin down and make available. So when it came together that he was available to do this along with David, and it just seemed like the timing was right. So, uh, you know, I pounced, and I did it, and I felt ready. And I'd been just over the past 10 years or so, I'd started doing more gigs as a leader. So I started to really develop, and I felt like it was time, and I was ready to do it. So that's kind of how it happened. How did the seeds of jazz begin for you? I know you're a New York native. Talk to me a little bit about growing up, I mean, prior to this experience, and, like, how the real seeds got planted in you. That's, yeah, that's a great question. That's really interesting because what really amazes me about it is that I grew up in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, like the melting pot of the melting pot, you know, of you could, of the, made perhaps in the whole world. I never even was exposed to jazz once. I never heard of it. I mean, I, I knew it existed as a musical form, but I didn't know anybody in jazz. I didn't know anything. And the fact that you could grow up in, you know, in the country where this remarkable art form comes from. I mean, this is an American art form, and that, you know, to grow up in, in a place like that, like the Lower East Side of, you know, Manhattan, and not ever be exposed to it, never really be conscious of it through TV, media, my my parents, whatever, you know, it, it's pretty remarkably, in a bad way, you know, saying that, uh, 
but what happened was I was really into blues and my buddies and I, we had a blues band when we were like 15, 16 years old. We used to practice in the basement of our apartment building. And, uh, you know, we'd read like Rolling Stone magazine or whatever. And we'd see these every now and then one of our artists that we liked, blues artists or rock blues artists would mention like the name Charlie Parker or Miles Davis or, and we'd be like, wow, who are these guys? What are they doing? So, uh, I happened to be in the library one day, and this was back when they had cassettes, which some of you might remember what those are, <laughs> but they yeah. had a cassette of, it could take out of this record called The Greatest Jazz Concert of All Time is the way it was billed, which is Tri Parker and Dizzy Bud Powell, Mingus, and Max Roach live, a live concert from Massey Hall in Canada. So I, we got that, we took it out of the library, we said, okay, let's check this out, and they just put it on, and we listened sat down, listened to it, and I just was blown away. I mean, I had no idea what it was or could make, you know, could grasp what was, what was going on, but it, but I was drawn to it through the swing feel and the, the incredible blues feel of, you know, everything Bird did was blues drenched, you could say, you know, and, and so that's what got me into it, and, and then I just became obsessed, like, it became not the direction of my life, you know, I just wanted to... I just, this is what I wanted to do, and I wanted to find out about it. Um, but it was just almost like a chance thing, you know. Uh, and that's kind of a, in a way, that's pretty upsetting and disturbing to think that, you know, you could come up. And I, I, I don't know to this day, like, uh, you know, how, the only way you would discover jazz, I think, here is if you happen to have, grow up in a household where you're exposed to it or you have friends who turn you on to it because you're not going to, find out about it in most cases otherwise, unfortunately. People like you spreading the word, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, right. And that's the key part of it. I mean, you know, who knows how many people just, just happen to turn on the radio and pass by and it catches their ear and the next thing you know. So, I mean, you have an extremely valuable role to play in this. So, well, and I have I have a good, my, my son is 16, his name's Miles, um, after, after the master, and Wow. Uh, his friend was, uh, his mom was talking the other day and said, you know, he's listening to modern contemporary music, hip hop, this, that, and the other. But she said, you know, he really likes jazz. He talks to his friends and they look at him like he's a space alien wow. when he brings it up. And it's because <laughs> I've totally indoctrinated him with jazz. I've driven around with him so much that I just, they, that's what they do. I mean, when he goes to the library, he gets books on it. So it is. I mean, it's really about. It's like those early years when they were, like, blandering cigarettes to people. They wanted to get the kids hooked because once you get them hooked when they're young, they're going to do it their whole lives, you know, and yes, that's right. Thing, that's right. You know? That's right. So, that's right. Well, how did you get but, it? How did you find out about it initially? I mean, because you grew up in one of the – I mean, did you grew up in Kansas City, by the way? I'm yeah. I, I grew up in a wow. very suburban area called Liberty, and, and a good friend of mine, his name was John Sweetwood, he gave me kind of blue. I was going on. A, I had a flight to uh, uh, Seattle, and mm. I just got hooked, man. I, I heard something yeah. I never heard before. And after <laughs> that, it went into Coltrane, Monk. It was Bebop. It was Baptismal by Fire, and I just right. fell in love with it. Um, yeah. yeah, and then had the chance to do a show. And uh, long story short, a friend of mine that uh, you know had his own show said. Hey, you know, pick a script, and I picked jazz, man. That was that was my go-to. Wow. So here we are yeah. after <laughs> after all these years. So it's it's definitely good. But but the cool thing about you is, is that things have worked out spectacularly. I mean, you played with so many cats from you know Milt Jackson, Dizzy, you know, 
Wycliffe yeah. Gordon, on and on. And I want to know from you, what did you learn from the masters and the legends and the luminaries that you in turn gave to your students? Wow. Well, I try to pass it on the best I can for sure. But what the, what the first things that come to mind when you say things, I think about early things that just, just like, you know, kind of really got me when, when I experienced them. Uh, I remember the first time that I played with Lionel Hampton, I was in his band for a couple of years. And, uh, I think the very, in fact, the very first concert we played was up in Toronto at Massey Hall, the, the very stage that was where that concert or that recording was made, where, you know, it, that it was like the lightning bolt moment for me for jazz. So it was like, that was pretty much a thrill. Plus to be playing, I was, that was my first big time gig, so to speak, was with Lionel Hampton. And I just remember that during the set, he played like a real slow, swinging kind of a ballad version, but, but with a swing feel, with a real kind of strong swing feel of uh, Duke Ellington's I Got a Bad Man Ain't Good. And I just remember that rhythmic feel, that pocket that he had was, it was so deep. It was like I'd never experienced that before. You know, with, I mean, I play with, you know, my peers and all these great young players and stuff, but I just had never experienced anything like that. And that was something that just has stayed with me ever since is to, you know, that, that sort of, to try to really bring out that rhythmic uh, quality in the thing. And there's so much subtlety involved in that. And, and I guess the best analogy, like someone I studied with when I was starting out, who I was a, a really important mentor was John Lewis from the Festival for the Modern Jazz Quartet. And, um, he always talked about the fact that it was like, it's like playing like you're a tap dancer. And, you know, tap dancers, they articulate every single sound they make, right, in a rhythmic way. And so you just don't play notes. You have to articulate them with that sort of same rhythmic uh, quality like a tap dancer or a great drummer does. And that's, hearing that with Lionel Hampton, that was something that, that struck me right away. And, of, of course, all the great masters had that that I got to play with. But that was the first time. And then another experience that comes to mind was the first time, uh, well, one of the first times playing with Ron Carter played, um, I was pretty young and extremely nervous, of course, when, when he asked me, called me to do this. We played a duo gig at this place called Knickerbocker for it was like a week-long gig. And uh, just the first night uh, playing a tune and it was something like that. And he said like, oh, you play, you play that last course, play something different this course, or like, uh, or you play that last night, play something different. Like always, always be looking to stretch it in new directions, to find new things, being like a, like, like taking the approach of like an explorer, you know, of like you're going on a journey and you, you don't just work out stuff and play it and do that. You're always reacting to the moment and, you know, you have to be ready and you have to be equipped. You have to have, the studies you have to study. You have to make sure you have the vocabulary, and you, and and you just want to constantly be, you know, taking a journey. And it's being like like explorers, really musical explorers. That's what it. And that's another was a really valuable lesson for me early on that I got from Ron Carter. And of course, I found with all the great masters that I played with, they had that ability to just every night sounds so fresh and original like they're just creating from from scratch even when they would use certain phrases that were you know part of their vocabulary that you'd heard them play before but it still sounded like it was 
a new, fresh way of doing it. Why do you love jazz? Wow, that's a great question. I don't know that anyone's ever asked me that before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I mean, on a, it just grabs me just on a basic, just such a basic level. It's work where I don't even, it's certainly not an intellectual level. It just grabs me. It's just the, I mean, the, what specifically, because I love all listening to all kinds of music. There's plenty of music I love listening to that I don't try to, I don't play. I mean, I don't think, I, I'm not drawn to play it, but I love listening to it. Like there's lots of classical music I've spent. You know, there's been months, even years on end, where I just listen mostly to Brazilian music, but I don't really, you know, I'm, it's not something I thought I'd want to play. It's just something I just love listening to. But with jazz, it's the chance that, you know, you always have, each time you go to work or you go to play or you go to your instrument, you have the chance to get to that place that you're hoping to get to. You can try to find it. You have the chance to, to create something really new and fresh and something that, you know, the ideal, that place that you get to when, you know, every now and then you get there and it's just this, uh, it's this, this, this zone that you get in where it's just, it's just, I don't even know how to explain it, but I'll put, I don't think I could put it into words, but there's nothing quite like it. And um, jazz, you have that opportunity to do that as, as listeners, as, as, as well as, as performers. I mean, it's, to play it, to play it. I mean, but you really are, it's the fact that you're really on a journey with the music and uh and you know to me nothing beats the you know the blues and to have that feel as well as that kind of rhythmic thing which is so special when that's really happening when you hear great players do that it's just it's just no comparison but that's that rhythmic feel i think is in all kinds of music i mean you could hear it in great brazilian music you can hear great you know great performance of classical music i mean i remember i used to love listening to glenn gould play uh, Beethoven sonatas, even though I, I think traditionally he's probably not considered the, maybe, I don't know enough about it, but the proper way to do it, but it, it had this rhythmic propulsive, propulsive kind of quality to it that I was really drawn to it in a way that, you know, because of that. So. Well, you know, we kind of hit at the top of this about how, you know, the world's waking up and gigs are coming back and we're cautious, but things are coming back new abnormal, so to speak. What do you hope we all realize about the power of live music when we do return in earnest, both you as a performer and me as an audience member? We, I think, first of all, is to just not take it for granted because especially for those of us that, enjoy, that, that love music, and I don't, I don't know anybody that does it in some form. It's just amazing to me how much, in just a flash, how we all could just, see how fragile everything is and how so just a simple just one day it's here and the next day it's gone and to not have live music like you said and just and now it's over a year later and we still don't really have we have it in new york i've been doing some gigs you know i have some gigs that i play you know i, I there's a, a restaurant that i play in a, a occasionally still you know with but it has partial Seating, and I have on my two masks and my face shield, you know, and I'm like my hazmat suit and all that, and uh, I'm going and making the gigs, and um, I look like I'm going in surgery. But I mean, it's it's the most amazing feeling to do a gig now because it, it's such a joyous feeling to be able to have that form of expression and to be able to play, and you know, there's nothing. There, I know we hear it again and again. It's such a cliche, but but there really is nothing like 
hearing music live. I mean, recordings are great, uh, and I couldn't live without recordings, but live music is really the essence of it, where you really can experience music at its fullest. And uh, I, I just hope that we none of us take take it for granted anymore and have the opportunity, once we get back, to being able to do it the way we hope it'll all be happening soon, you know. And um, I think all musicians I know just, they just, you know, will be coming back with a fervor. It'll be like, you know, there'll be an extra intensity to the music I imagine now because everyone has been holding it in for so long and just, you know. And even audiences, I think, my little experience with that is how appreciative audiences have been, even for the online, all the online stuff that's been happening, that uh, all the live streaming things. And I have a feeling that that's going to continue on. I, I think now that we've discovered this live streaming uh, way, which can work pretty well with the right technology, you know, it can work great. So that's probably will stay as part of it, I imagine. But uh, So... Everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your students, your fans, but you're the one living your life. Who do you think you are? My perception of who I am and how I present myself to others is usually very out of touch with what the reality is, it seems. I don't know. Sometimes I feel that way, certainly, but I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I, 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 you're, I think you're absolutely right, first of all, about the being intertwined with my identity is so much wrapped up in the fact that I'm a music, you know, play the piano and piano is so much a part of what I mean every day if I didn't have the ability to touch the piano and play you know I don't know I mean I'm sure I would survive but it's so much a part of my perception of myself but I think that I'm someone who just uh, tries to make sure that I'm just I do things sincerely and um Hopefully, uh, with honest, you know, as honest as I can, and uh, and hopes to share. I don't. I mean, it's a tough question. I don't know what to say. But I mean, I my, my whole music. Actually, I think about it. The more I think about it, what you what you're saying, my how much my whole life is wrapped up in music. Um, <laughs> And, you know, what I do, even if it's like, like when I teach classes, like even just making up the playlists for the classes, I go way beyond what's necessary for the class. I just love it so much. I make up these playlists and, and you know, listen to things. But I just would hope to present some, you know, real I mean, music to present something really um, positive of, try to be a positive force in the world in whatever way I can, but um, in my way, it happens to be through music and just hope to achieve that. But um, Yeah, I wish I could come up with a better answer. I have to say no, that's a great that answer. <laughs> no, this is, this is the kind of question where people feel like they didn't answer it right. You, you nailed it, man. Ray, thank you for opening up about yeah. the new album, your life and music. I really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real, real pleasure to talk with you. And I hope everyone, if you want to stay in touch, just, you know, um, you can sign up for my newsletter to the website, raygallon.com. And, you know, also I'm streaming on all the social media sites and, you know, the album is, I think, already available for pre-sale on iTunes or even through the Seller Live. So 
But thank you so much for having me. I really, Joe, it was great talking with you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Ray for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.